Hey, we are once again on chapter 12. Hey, that's a pretty good sentence. Now, now, what was the title? Man, I almost didn't have to do the fake mumble. That's right. Developing. No, that's right. This is a long one. Godly habits of living. Yay. All right. That's right. And that's where we're at. And last time we saw the issue, the guy posed the question, why am I not experiencing the abundant life? And it did make us cry just like that because they're like, why, why, why do I read the scripture in one hand? Look at my uh, life in the other hand and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't compute. Why is there such a difference uh, in that? Well, we're not experiencing the abundant life. And that's why we broke down that phrase because it's Christianese, the abundant life. Okay, and that really is just God doing great and mighty things with you and I. If it's going to take place, uh, God doing great things through us as his vessels, uh, then it's going to require two things we saw last time. uh, And we're going to take a look at the third one uh, again tonight. And what we saw is the first thing you need to do is to remember the word. Rhymes says consecrate. That's right, it's consecrate, Pastor Jim, you're listening. Uh, consecrate means to set apart, okay? If you're going to be used of God to do great and mighty things for Him, sounds common sense, but it's very important. You have to come to that point in your life when you say, it's no longer my life. It's yours, Jesus, and for the rest of this time here on earth, I consecrate. I make a deliberate choice. From now on, it's all about you. It's not my life, my eyes, my ears, my feet, my hands, my mouth. It's yours. I'm your vessel. Do what you want. The second thing is it's great to have that intention. We use the Christianese phrase, we're rededicating our life to Jesus sometimes, right? Nothing wrong with that. Okay, but I think sometimes people will do that and then turn right around next week, they're in the same boat. It's because they didn't follow up with step two. Step two is you need to develop these godly habits, i.e., break that down. You need to become disciplined in your life. It's not just to make the great decision. Praise God, you made it there to say, yes, thank you, God, for all you've done for me. I consecrate, I set this life apart for you. For your purposes. Now, here comes the challenge. Every single day, you need to discipline yourself, okay? And that's what we're going to see tonight. Step number three is, okay, that's great. Praise God. You made it the first step. Uh, I consecrate myself. I set this life apart for Jesus. Uh, Number two, uh, I choose to live a disciplined life. Every day, it's not a matter, it's not an option that I'm going to read the Bible. I have to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible. Nobody has to give me a sermon. I'm not going to be guilted. You don't have to twist my arm, pull my teeth to get to pray to God or to witness. Every day, yes, yes, yes. The third step is you need to realize there's a war going on. Okay, that's what we're going to deal with tonight. Hey, this is great. Praise God. You finally got there. Yahoo! Right? You made that decision. That's great. You know, for some of us, it happens right when we get saved. Some of it's a little bit later, like a secondary step. Okay, uh, and then, yes, I'm going to be disciplined, but it's not going to be easy. There's a war going on inside. You need to, if God is going to do great and mighty things through his children, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to discipline yourself. But you need to realize inside of you, there's a war going on with yourself. And that's what he talks about, the page of 131 there. The old and the new natures. Okay, it's not going to come easy. In our dealing with temptation, we learn that we all inherit from Adam a fallen nature that has the natural bent to always obey God. It's so easy living the Christian life, following God. Oh, he says it there in the Bible. We do it automatically. Wouldn't that be nice? Here's the problem uh, that we saw there is we have a natural bent to uh, sin. Sin, harmatias in the Greek, harmatias, it means to miss the mark. Okay, God's got a standard. He's got a mark. Here's what's going on is with the issue there. And we miss it every single time. 
Okay, that's the battle that we're in. There's something inside of us that when we say, yes, I consecrate myself. I went forward on Sunday or I was spending my private time with God. It's all about him now. I'm getting up this morning uh, with full intentions to read the word of God. And you get up in the morning and you hear this little voice says, five more minutes. Hit the snooze. Remember what we saw last time? No, no, Monday. Let's start fresh, right? It's a new week, Monday. Isn't it what it is? Wait, yeah, that's right, John. It's the middle of summer. Don't do it now. January 1st. That's the old you. There's a war going. It's not going to come easy. Yes, praise God, you made it. You consecrated yourself. Set yourself apart. Yes, I'm going to discipline, but it's going to come hard. Remember last time we saw the analogy of the escalator that's going down, and you're trying to do what some people unfortunately try to do? and run up. I don't know who those people might be. Okay, the moment you stop running up that escalator that's going down, what happens? That's the Christian life. It's going to be a fight all the way. Paul says, uh, uh, you know, take a boat ride on the Christian life. Praise God. I took a taxi all the way to the finish line. I finished my course. It was so easy. It was awesome. It's like a vacation trip. I fought the good fight. I ran the race. Elsewhere, he uses boxing terms. I beat, literally in the Greek, I beat my body, the old man, black and blue is what it says in the Greek. I whooped him up in the ring because nothing was going to prevent me from following Jesus Christ. It's not going to come easy. It's a war, okay? We have to deal with that, and that's what he says. In addition, we learned that at salvation, we're given a new nature that desires to do good, okay? That's the good news. Okay, at least now we can finally have the ability to do what God says. Before, it wasn't going to happen, okay? And that's what we saw with the two natures he's dealing with here. The spirit, the new us, created in Christ Jesus, the new creation, wants to follow God. That's why there's a conflict, because you still have to deal with the old man for now. Praise God, when we get to heaven, he's gone, amen? Okay, but there's that conflict. There's that war going on in your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. You got with your mind, your will, and emotions, yes, yeah, woohoo, but it's a war every single day and you got to learn how to fight okay as paul teaches in galatians 5 17 in our daily walk there will be a battle going on between the flesh or the christianese word for the old nature okay and the spirit okay is your next point the power behind the new nature and he writes for the flesh the old you sets its desire against the spirit the new you and the new you or spirit against the flesh or the old you, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. you get it? I, I, I want to do this. This would please me greatly. This is a life that's pleasing to God. Please, I want to do this, please. But something inside of you say, uh-uh. And it's going to work your tail off. And it's not just your old man's sin nature. I'm going to expound on it. We saw this before. Christians are the only ones who have to fight this fight, not this taxi ride, not this vacation trip, with a battle on three fronts all at the same time. Yeah, he focuses, and he's right. We got that old nature we've got to deal with. But at the same time, you got this stinking wicked world system to deal with. Even if you didn't have the old man, we still have to live in this world that says what? Follow God. Yee-hoo! Says the same thing the old man says, right? Don't follow God. And then we got actual demonic warfare. They're out there to destroy you, to kill, to steal, to destroy, okay, to lead you down anything, everything but following Jesus Christ. That's real. So listen, I mean, you think about the great battles in the history. We talked about this before. You deal with, you're dealing with one front that you got to fight, you know? Can you imagine having to fight three fronts all at the same time? You're just one army. Hey, that's what we got to deal with every single day as a Christian. No wonder it's so challenging but it's not impossible if we learn as he says to walk and live and keep in step of the spirit piece of cake man 
We have the armor of God. Nothing could whoop up on us if we would just learn to realize it's a battle and how to use the weapons that he gives us. The new nature has a desire to follow God's law, but it must be programmed by the principles of God's word. This is how godly habits are developed and a godly life is lived, okay? And dare I say, a fruitful life is lived. All right, now let me give you another example. I left off some examples last night. But notice what we're gonna focus on tonight is not just realize that it's a war, okay, but we need to be equipped with the word of God, okay? That's our instructions. That's our battle plan every single day. This is what we know. Okay, I'm setting myself apart to follow God, to be disciplined in the things of God so that God can use this life to do great things for him. Now what? It's all right here. You ever wonder why somebody doesn't want you in here? This is not just popcorn knowledge. This is not to impress somebody with your knowledge. That's it. That's our battle plan. That's going to tell us step by step what we need to do, what God expects, how we can live, how we can experience the victory he's already given us. It's all in there. Now, when you get saturated with the word of God, man, things can happen. Okay, if you're consecrated, because we saw before, I know a lot of people, I'm sure you've never run into folks like this in the church. Man, they can quote the Bible till they're blue in the face. They know they could they could whoop you on a Bible memorization test. They they, they can quote all this stuff. I know in order the uh, all the kings of the Old Testament in order. First with the Northern Kingdom, then the Southern Kingdom. Whoa! But you're one of the meanest, cantankerous people causing ruckus in the church, and you got a horrid witness in the community. What did all that knowledge accomplish? What a shame. So it isn't just acquiring knowledge from the scripture, as we're going to see, it's letting the scripture transform you. But when that happens, man, God does great things. Let me give you one example. He was the son of a minister and considered to be one of the greatest pioneer missionaries of all time. Endowed with such brilliance, he taught himself to read at the age of three. Wow. And by his 10th year, he knew Latin and Greek and was a serious student of theology. So he used it to get into the word. Well, what happened? Well, at the age of 16, he entered Brown University, graduated three years later as the valedictorian of the class. While he was at Andover Theological Seminary, he could not get away from the words of the missionary appeal, which, oh, by the way, is in the Bible. Go ye into all the world, right? Read a verse, bang, transformed him. So shortly thereafter, he did just that. He and his new wife, Anne, sailed for India But when the government refused to allow them to enter the country, they went to Burma, where they worked for six years before winning even a single soul to Christ. For six years, nothing, before one person came. But during those years, he translated the Bible into the Burmese language. And then in 1845, he returned for a visit to America, but the burning desire to win the Burmese people to Christ sent him back, where he cried out, I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted there forever. And then a few years later, he died. Well, gee, that didn't sound like he accomplished much. Mm -mm. Listen to what God did. When all was said and done, 30 years after his death, Burma had 63 Christian churches, 163 missionaries, over 7,000 baptized converts, and over 100 years later, on the anniversary of his death, Burma had some 200,000 Christians because this one guy. And he consecrated himself, he disciplined himself, and he used his ability to study the word of God. Adoniram Judson. How many guys are going to name your next cat that? Yeah, it's a happening name, man. You know what I'm saying? True guy, right? Now listen, that's a guy just like you and I. That's a Christian. He's, I'm sure he sat in church services. He might even went to a Wednesday night Bible study. 
But somewhere along the line, he consecrated himself, he disciplined himself, he realized it ain't going to come easy, but he devoted himself to the word of God, and bang, God did mighty things with him, right? To the point where God used him to translate the word of God so other people could know. 200,000 people came to Christ. What about us? I'm telling you guys, don't belittle yourselves. Don't belittle the possibilities. Well, that's only for, for Adoniram Judson, or that's only for Dwight Moody we saw last week, or that's only for George Mueller. That's only for those people who are gifted with that. Really? You've been gifted with salvation. Do you love Jesus? Serve him. Give him your life. It's not yours anyway. Remember we saw? This is not your life. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's not yours anyway. Just acknowledge it. But then devote yourself. Set yourself apart. Get disciplined. Realize it ain't going to come easy, okay? But don't give up, okay? Let's continue on. The Holy Spirit first inspired the words of the Holy Scripture to be recorded without error so that we would have the written record of God's desire for us. His desire for us. These scriptures which we have to study are the very words of God. What is more exciting than that? I'm sorry, Tom, but you're being super religious. I, I'm more concerned about what's going on in People magazine. Hey, don't laugh. That's some serious, incredible stuff. What? Hey, if you want to read something second, that's fine. But did you have time in the Word of God? You could sit here, you can walk this aisle five million times and say, I rededicate myself to Jesus Christ. But until you discipline yourself and realize it ain't going to come easy, there's something inside you're going to say, no, read people. No. By the Spirit of God, I'm going to spend what time I have left in the Word of God so that God can do something with this crackpot vessel for His glory. It's a battle. It's a war every single day. Okay? Throughout our Christian walk, if we are diligent, underline that word, that's the key, isn't it? Diligent, okay, in our study of God's Word, we will be continually learning about God's desire for our attitudes and actions. This, along with the daily experiences God leads us through, is how the process of renewing the mind takes place. Remember, translate that. When Paul says that, we saw last time in Romans chapter 12, we need to renew our mind, okay? Translate it, unbrainwash. Unbra- this is, we said it before, this is the only book on the planet that can unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from this world. This is it, right? And this is it. The more you read this, the more clear it is. I'll never forget this, the line in Keith Green's song. He says, it's like, speaking of salvation, it's like waking up from the longest dream, right? The more you get in there, it's just like, I'm, I'm finally almost getting to that point where I've almost been saved as long as I wasn't saved. I didn't get saved until I was 25. This year was my 19th birthday. I'm getting closer. And I'm going, the more time goes on, it's like, and the more you're in the word and the more you grow in God, you're going, was I really that headbanger dude with the rocker dude, the hair? Did I really do pretty much every drug under the sun? Was I really a nasty, mean, male showness pig? Just nasty. Did I really have demons inside of me? Was it really that dark? Yeah. Oh, God is good. The more you get in there, it's just, man, you get transformed. And that's what he's saying. You renew your mind and you look back and say, wow, you get washed with the word of God. You get washed with who you are now. You get washed with what your future is. You get washed with the great hope and the great plans that he has for us and the victory that we have. And we don't have to live like that anymore. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Woo! 
You need to be unbrainwashed. That's good news. Hey, forget people. That's, that's what you need to read. It'll transform you. Again, is it any wonder somebody doesn't want you in there? You're going to find all that stuff out. Okay, okay, continue on. Uh, through our knowledge of God's word and our experiences in life of living out these truths and proving them, we learn more and more to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in our actions and attitudes. In our daily walk, we will continually be confronted with making a choice. Okay, that's a war, because this is it. This is where the choice takes place. You encounter a situation, you encounter a temptation, you have a desire. It might even be the Spirit of God moving on your heart. Hey, get into the Bible. Hey, get into prayer. Hey, you need to witness to your coworker, your family member, your neighbor. Hey, get to some godly fellowship, man. Don't isolate yourself. You got to make a choice, but there's a war going on. Okay, but you got to make that choice by allowing yourselves to be driven by your own desires, i.e. this one, this is your choice. You're going to listen to that guy? You're going to feed the black dog? Or you're going to listen to this? You're going to be led by the Spirit, it says in your book there. You're going to feed the white dog. Remember we saw the analogy? You got two dogs. One's a white dog, one's a black dog. Which, and they're going to fighting. Got them in the arena. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. That's the choice every day. What are you, who are you feeding, man? This is the white dog. Are, are you feeding the spirit? Are they studying the Bible? You're di- oh, I consecrated myself last Sunday. Whoa! I'm going to be disciplined. Hey, guess what? It's a war. Did you get up today and feed the white dog? Have you been feeding them all day? Can I tell you something? You're always feeding one of them. Which one are you feeding? And if you're feeding this guy, that's what you get. All that wickedness that Paul mentions there in Galatians 5. Okay, driven by our own desires or led by the Spirit. The Spirit will remind us of what we learn from God's Word. Okay, and that's what He uses as a platform. But if you don't have God's Word, what's he go? give Him something to work with. Right? And uh, He'll prompt us to make the right choices. And then if we do, we can trust Him to empower us. Is your blank there? To empower us to put that God-honoring decision into action. If we live an obedient lifestyle over time and through circumstances, we will learn to yield ourselves to the Spirit's guidance in every situation. We will more and more live a Spirit-filled life. Turn to Galatians 5. I, I cannot belabor this enough. Galatians 5, because oftentimes this is what your little, this is what the little voice One of these three or all three you're trying to get to say, oh, come on. That's just too much work. I mean, every day, come on, I got to read the Bible every day. I got to pray. Forget Daniel, that's too high of a standard. He did it three times a day. Uh, I got a witness, man. What are you talking about? A fellowship with Christians? Those people get on my nerves. And then we get tricked into thinking like, that's just a horrible way to go. But here's the payoff. Galatians 5 if you haven't turned there already, Galatians 5, let's take a look. This is what he's talking about. Let's break through the Christianese, okay? Who in the world wouldn't want this? We saw this before. This is the spirit-filled life. This is your goal. Praise God. He's going to do great and mighty things through us. That's awesome. To have treasure to lay at his feet, that's amazing. To have crowns to chuck at his feet, Revelation 4, that's what a privilege. Oh, there's a, a cool byproduct, too, when you live like that. You know, every day when <laughs> Bible and prayer. Gosh, I guess I'll experience more of this. Verse 22, love. Yeah, I'm just going to experience more love and joy. (laughs) Man, Tom, why do I have to have so much joy? 
It's just horrible. I got to keep doing this every day. I got more peace and I know what to do with and patience and kindness. If I get one more ounce of goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. A faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sin no longer is my uh, uh, master and I'm experiencing all this victory in Jesus. Why do I have to do all this stuff? Do you see how tricky the enemy is? Even the enemy inside of us, the old man. Wow, who wouldn't want to live that life? Hey, it's right there for the taking. If we would set ourselves apart, get disciplined, and realize it ain't going to come easy. Somebody every single time is going to try to talk you out of it. Just say no. Okay? You got to persevere. It's like, I don't know how many times. You guys even do it to me. Okay, and I'm just going to confess this, and this doesn't inhibit our relationship. I still love you guys. I don't know how many times you guys, I've let it be known my likes and dislikes, and you still ask me to eat chicken. No, I'm not going to do it. I don't care how many times you say it. No. But that's the attitude. It's going to be a war, okay? We need to develop. How do we train ourselves for godliness, he says there. The above explanation will help us to see that the old adage, just let go and let God. Um, That's theologically unsound, okay? You're not just float around. And some, no, you got, yeah, you got to use your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's a choice, okay? And, it's, and the process of pursuing a godly life is a joint venture. God does not override our will. We must have that consecrated desire and continually make the decision to yield to the Spirit's leading. We can also see from our chart how important studying of the Word of God is in our daily walk. Our mind must be renewed, unbrainwashed, okay? Now it should be clear to everyone why, listen to this, It should be clear. Listen, that's basic Christianity 101. That's what you hope should happen the moment you get saved. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. Woo! And you remember that time? Remember when you first got saved? And it was exciting. I can't get enough of the Bible. I can't. When did it stop? And if it stopped, get back on track and keep moving forward, okay? But because we condition ourselves to think that somehow that we don't have to pursue hard after God, Oh, it just, it just affects us. No big deal. So what? What's the big deal? Listen to what he says. He says, now should it be clear to everyone why in a day of gross, I like that word, gross biblical ignorance, the moral and ethical life of the individual Christian, because it only affects them, of the church, is not much different in many instances than that of the world. We act like this is an option. I don't know about you, but I hope there comes that time when you realize you got to kill that spider. Let's close in prayer. No, let me explain that. Okay? <laughs> I love the look on your face. I wish I had a camera going this way. But anyway, so an old deacon who frequently led prayer meetings would often conclude his petitions with the words, Oh, Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life. Well, Finally, a man who lived next door to him couldn't stand it any longer because he knew he was a self-seeking carnal Christian. His life was total hypocrisy. So one Wednesday night, the old fellow, his neighbor, actually followed him uh, to the study. Okay, and so once again, uh, in his usual manner, the deacon jumped up there to his feet and shouted, uh, Oh, Lord, clean out the cobwebs in my life. And his neighbor stood to his feet and shouted, Don't do it, Lord, don't do it. Make him kill the spider. Isn't that what we do? We're always dealing with the cobwebs of life. And we never get to the root issue, do we? 
What is it that's making these cobwebs? Wouldn't that be easier to stop producing them? We have got to get to that point where we realize there's something working against us. This is not a game. This is not a taxi ride. This is not a vacation to heaven. This is war. How bad do you want it? Kill the spider. Cut to the chase. What is the spider that's keeping you from studying the Bible every day? Kill it. Don't deal with the cobwebs, the spiritual message you keep getting in. What is, what's the spider that's keeping you from that? What's the spider that's keeping you from prayer? What's the spider that's keeping you from witnessing to your family and your friends and your co-workers in danger of hell? What is the spider that is tricking you into thinking, I don't need to hang out with the church. I punch in my time clock once a week. That's good enough for me. What's that spider? Stomp on that thing in the name of Jesus and get rid of it. Don't just deal with the cobwebs. Let's continue on. In our previous lessons, next page 132, we've already discussed developing a pattern of personal Bible study and scripture memorization. Uh, in our personal Bible study lesson, we looked at uh, the following helpful comments and steps in application. Application involves life principles, it's your next blank, Sarah, out of the word of God and applying them to our own life. The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. <gasps> what was Moses Dog's favorite brand of ice cream, Bill? Ready, go. It's a daily double thing on Jeopardy. Whatever you call that. It wasn't Pomoni. What are you talking about? What kind of, have you guys ever eaten that? What is this, Pomoni? What is that? Isn't it like a pistachio looking thing? Hey, that's fancy living ice cream. What are you doing eating that, Bill? I digress. Anyway, so it's not there just to satisfy your curiosity. It's not there to win that column on the daily uh, double on Jeopardy, okay? It is there to transform your life. Why are we in this thing? To impress somebody? John, did you realize that Bill broke his... I'm sorry, Bill, you're here tonight, so I'm going to get you, and you're right in my line of view. Sorry. So, but... <laughs> I broke my record 19 weeks ago of 18 chapters in five minutes. Woo-hoo! And John asks you, and just what did you learn? How did it transform your life? I have no idea, but I beat my record. Woo-hoo! I memorized 9,322 verses today, Byron. Ha-ha, I beat you. Nah. And Byron starts crying like that. Because that's what it's all about. It's just competition. Fill our heads with a... The world is waiting to see this lived out. Can I tell you that? The world is so sick and tired of hearing us quote the Bible and not living it. The world is hopeless out there. Have you noticed lately? This is it, man. This is where hope is at forever. Beyond this wicked world. This is it. But one of the most detrimental things we could do is sit here and quote this thing and live just like them and expect them to listen to us. It needs to transform our life. The ultimate goal of Bible study then is not to do something to the Bible, but allow the Bible to do something to you. Hello, where truth becomes tangent to life, he says there. Uh, Bible study becomes transforming as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Can we translate that for you? That's what we saw last time. As you consecrate yourself, you set yourself apart for him. It's not about you anymore. And I know we never have that attitude, especially when we come to church services. I mean, forget about in life, period. <laughs> no. But when we come to church services, we realize that we are here. It's not about us. It's about worshiping Jesus Christ. We don't come here and say, it's all about me and what I want and what I like and what I prefer. 
and my pet peeves, and my, me, my, me, my, self and I, the unholy trinity. We consecrate ourselves, forget about yourself. Deny yourself. A true disciple, what did Jesus say? Was it Matthew 10? You deny yourself. If you want to be a worthy disciple of me, you love him first. He comes first. Not you. You're a long distant third. Okay? After you get done loving him, Matthew 22, I believe is it? Love God first. Then what do you do? I got to start. No, you love other people. And then frankly, I mean, can you imagine? We talked about this before. I mean, oh, what do you say? The word of God tells us God's desire for us. Oh, it's so hard to figure out what God wants me to do. Oh, would you just love him? He narrowed it down to two, love him and love other people. That'll keep you busy. In fact, I, I really believe that if you just do the first one, you're already going to do the second one. So he's really narrowed it down to one. Took all the Old Testament law and the prophets. That's what he says there in that passage. It's all summed up into that. Just love God. Well, how do you do that? You do what Jesus did. You live like him. You look like him. You speak like him. You act like him. You, you set your life apart and say, it's, it's you, Jesus. Here I am, your what? Vessel, just like the temple. Use me, pour me out and do this. What, my eyes, mm, man, those are yours now. These lips, uh-uh. You're gonna speak only what you want me to speak. My heart, everything, oh, my soul, my mind, it's all yours. It's all about you now, not me. Who gives a rip about me? I don't care about me anymore. I'll, I'm so enthralled with you. I just can't stop thinking about you. Remember that? Remember that when you were dating? Uh, your soon-to-be spouse, and you just couldn't stop thinking about him. Remember that? Remember that you'd have those goofy conversations. You're talking on. The, you just talked five minutes ago for an hour and fifteen minutes over nothing. Five minutes later, hey, do you have sheetrock in your house too? I like my sheetrock. Do you like your sheetrock? I love sheetrock. I knew you'd love sheetrock. We're made for each other. You just couldn't get the person off your mind. You were just going through the motions. You were doing what you had to do, but man, you just couldn't stop. Wow! Can you imagine if we love God like that? I mean, that's loving God with all your heart and mind, so you just can't get him off your mind. It's all about him. What can I do for you, God? Not about us. Can I tell you where us comes from? Us is this. When it's all about you and what you want and you and you and you and you and you, wherever you go, We've talked about this before. Sin. What's the middle thing? I. Maybe that's the problem that we have. We have an I problem. It's all about I. Where did I start? Oh, that's right. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. I will be like God. I will ascend to the mount of the assembly. I will be like the most high. I. Oh, that's right. That was Satan. Being self-centered started with him. I. At the heart of every sin, when we make this choice, with this battle, with this war we're talking about, every time we choose I, every time we sin, at that moment, why is it sin? Have you ever thought about this? Because at that moment, we said, no, God, I want to do what I want. I love myself more than you. Why would we encourage that behavior? Isn't that nuts? The number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. We are teaching people across our world today 
to be good Satanists. But it's a good thing when we get saved, we don't shed that external secular mindset. I never experienced, man, he's going to Midland. Let's move on. Okay, ask application questions. That's the next thing. Here's what we do when we read the Bible. If you want to get the most out of it, what do you do? Hey, ask questions. Don't say, man, I'm going to beat Byron. Five more verses to go. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, John. I'm going to do 19 chapters next week. Ask yourself these questions. Is there an example? When I'm reading this, God, is there an example for me to follow? Wow, that's a real cool story about uh, Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife. And Wow, can you imagine that? Well, okay, what's the next chapter? How about stop and go, hey, is there an example for me to follow? God, what are you trying to teach me? Well, I don't have somebody trying to seduce me. That's a pretty obvious one. What is it in life that's trying to seduce you? That's a good application. Is there an example? Oh, wow, that's even Old Testament stuff. Applies to today, doesn't it? Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Right? I mean, are these the questions? Application, application, application. Why in the world are we reading the Bible? Why are we here tonight? I want to hear a funny story from Pastor Billy and help him sound like he's talking from Texas again. <laughs> all right, that's, if that's all you want, I guess that's all you get. Hopefully it's something better than that. God, is there a sin for me to avoid? What are you trying to teach me, God? Is there a promise to, to claim? Oh, I love every time Pastor Billy quotes Romans 6. I am no longer a slave to sin. Woo! I love this promise. If I do this and I feed the white dog and I consecrate myself and I discipline myself and acknowledge it's a war every single day and I follow in the footsteps of the Spirit of God, I'm going to experience more peace and love. And, well, yeah! Is there something for me to claim? God, is there a prayer for me to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition I need to meet? Is there a verse I do need to memorize and it ain't just whooping up on Byron? Maybe it's the one that popped out at me and struck me, either with encouragement or like a knife in the chest. Maybe he wants you to chew on that for the rest of the week. Put it to memory. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's a small verse, but isn't that powerful? Abram and Sarah, later Abraham and Sarah, she's laughing because God said, now she's 90, he's 100, now I'm going to have a baby. And what's God rebuke her with? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Other passages I love, put this one to memory. Is the Lord's arm too short Excuse me? Yeah, that's, that's in, the, in the scripture, Old Testament, when they're whining about provisions, saying, God, that can't happen. Are you kidding me? Same thing with the birth of Isaac. Ex Last time I checked, creating the universe out of nothing, which is the word, and then Colossians 1 says he at the same time upholds and sustains it from flying apart. I think he could do that. What are you laughing at? Is there a promise uh, to claim, a prayer to repeat, a command to obey, a condition to meet, a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? Am I out of line here, God? Am I stiff-necked and rebellious when you convict me? No, no, no is the correct answer. <laughs> or are you soft and pliable and say, 
God, you know what? You're right. You convicted me. I have been sinning. Would you please forgive me? Would you change my heart? Because after all, it's not my life. I've consecrated it to you, and I'm supposed to come out looking like you, not me. Okay? Uh, is there a challenge to face? Okay? Uh, chew on God's principles. It says meditate there, but we have uh, translated that is to meditate. I don't like that term because it's new agey, Lord willing, in our Bible prophecy study. We'll get to that in the one world religion. They're using it as a tool to try to get us to all bond together into one world. Because meditation and prayer is the same thing. No, it's not. Okay? So that's why I always make the delineation. Uh, chew on, because that's what it means in Hebrew. Okay? Uh, one thing that we have not talked about much is chewing on the word of God. Okay, God said to Joshua, as he was uh, assuming leadership over Israel, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate or chew on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Because when you do it, man, you're going to be so bored out of your gore. You're going to miss out so much in life, Bill, when you follow the word of God. Mike, it's just, why are you even messing with this? Because, man, I just, come on, there's better things to do. Do you got that copy of people still with you? Oh, and when you do that, it's going to make your way prosperous and you're going to have success. Gosh, we try anything and everything but God's way, don't we? And we wonder why spiritually we're not prospering and just success in the Christian life, it ain't happening. Every single day, chew on that baby, the word of God. To meditate is your blank there or put chew on. The scriptures is to think about them. Turn them over in your minds. Apply them in your life situation. Ask those questions we just talked about. When we know the scriptures and develop principles of application through chewing on it, then we must simply choose to obey and depend on the Holy Spirit for the power to carry out these godly actions and attitudes. Obeying the scriptures usually requires changes in patterns of life because we are a sinful nature. I'll say that because we have a sinful nature. We're new creatures in Christ now. We have developed sinful patterns, that's your next blank there. Sinful patterns, which we call habits. Discipline is required to break any habit, but it's going to be a war. Okay? If a boy has developed a wrong style of swinging a bat, he cannot just decide to change instantly. He has developed a certain habit and much discipline, much correction and training is required to break that bad habit and develop a new one. In the same way, our patterns of disobedience to God have been developed over a number of years and are not broken easily without discipline. I'll give you just a very quick example because we got to finish up tonight on this one, okay? And uh, when I first got saved, uh, I told you the story before if you were here. I'm sure you've got all these studies memorized, right, John? Man, praise God, the next chapter's online. But anyway, so, but uh, <laughs> I can dream though. <laughs> So, but when I first got saved, uh, uh, I didn't come across the Bible that says you need to respect the authorities. I hadn't read that Romans 13 yet, all right? But uh, I, I just, my boss had laid down a line that uh, I worked in a warehouse and you had these pallet jacks with the, you had to pick the pallets and whatever. Hey, to me, for years before I got saved, man, those things made the best skateboards in the universe, man. You could really cut and bit a good old tail, because they're heavy duty. And once you get momentum going on a nice, clean, flat, slick concrete floor, man, it was awesome, right? Okay, I kid you not, after he did that, after I got saved, I went to go do my normal thing because you didn't walk to the end of the warehouse. You grabbed the skateboard. That's what we all did. No, our boss you know, said no. I kid you not, I did the normal thing. It was a habit. I just went and jumped on it. I, I, it was like, I couldn't do it. I got convicted. And it was just like, I, I, there's no verse in here that I found anyway, unless you guys know some Southern Greek I'm not aware of. Thou shalt not ride thine pallet jack in thine warehouse. I haven't found it yet. Now there is this scriptural principle. You need to obey the authority over you. 
okay? And be godly to outsiders, okay? But the Spirit of God convicted me. Now, that one happened pretty quick. There was another rule that he had, and we had a big old safety. We had the forklift. We did all the forklift training, all this stuff, whatever. Now we had to wear the seatbelt. Well, for years, we didn't have to wear the seatbelt, right? I, I kid you not, and you were always in a hurry, right? Because you got to do this and this, and you're zipping around, get this, and whatever. So I'm jumping on the deal. This one didn't come that easy. And I got convicted every single time. Holy Spirit was right there when I wouldn't do it. Oh, right? And it took, that one took quite some time to develop before eventually it became a new habit. Now, if I would have quit in the discussion and said, well, forget it, I'm never going to get this. And see, that sounds very minuscule, doesn't it? A goofball seatbelt. But as we saw before, Jesus said, if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be entrusted with much. If you can't do something Christian as simple as put a seatbelt on like your secular employer asks you to do, woo, you expect God to cut you loose with some real responsibility? Don't think so. But that one takes a while. So sometimes it takes a little bit. Sometimes it happens quick. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Anyway, he says this, the key to discipline ourselves for godliness are persistence and dependence. Persistence and dependence. We may fall, uh, fail many times in areas before we obtain victory and develop the godly habit we are pursuing. By communicating our desires to God, we stay aware of our need for his strength to overcome the power of the flesh, the old nature, those three voices, dare I say. This is of extreme importance since it's clear from Paul's discussion in Romans 7 and 8 that the new nature has no power to live out its godly desires apart from the indwelling spirit of God. It's the spirit of God doing it in us as we depend upon him and yield to him. It's not us. If we could do it, why do we need the spirit of God? If we could live the Christian life, why did Jesus die on the cross? It's him. Then when victory in daily life comes, we are reminded that he receives the praise God does for the victory. That's right, Byron. <laughs> yeah. Me, I did it. Huh? Do you like that? You like how I witnessed that guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the glory of God. He's the one that set that one up. I didn't know what in the world to say in the first place. You didn't see me, but in the back of my head, I'm going, oh, God, God, please, I pray for your wisdom and direction. I have no clue what to say with these people. But in the spirit of God, you ever do that? You ever witness somebody? And next thing you know, stuff's coming to your mouth that you learned in second grade in Sunday school. I forgot I even knew that stuff. But what do we see tonight, man? When you're disciplined and you start chalking full of the word of God, you give them something to work with, this stuff starts coming out. And then when he does something victorious, Yep. Are you kidding me? To him is the glory and the honor and the power forever and ever and ever. He gets the glory for all of that. This helps us not to get puffed up. Okay, because if you get all puffed up, you know what's going to happen? Shrekey wakey. Yeah, God resists the proud. We saw that before in the Greek there. It's battle array, full battle array. It's a military term. God is in full battle array against you. But he gives grace to the humble. Okay? Grace is God's divine influence in your life via the Spirit and its reflection in the life. That's what we need is his grace. Okay? Let's continue on. We also need to stay uh, persistent. Here's your next blank there. The famous preacher, Jonathan Edwards, who resolved never to do anything he would be afraid to do if it was his last hour of his life. 
That's a good one. Also made this resolution. He resolved never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. I don't care if it's the 217,000th time I messed up on the goofball forklift seatbelt rule, but I'm going to keep on going for it. That's the mentality we need to have. It's a war if we're going to be used of God to do great things. Like this guy. We'll close in prayer with this Last example. See if you can guess who it is. He may have called himself the hayseed of hayseeds, but even the world described him as the greatest high-pressure mass conversion Christian evangelist the world or America has ever known. It all started in Ames, Iowa, where he dreamed of one day he wasn't consecrated to God, no siree. It's all about him. One day playing professional baseball. That's what his dream was. And even though for most people it remained a dream, but for this man, it actually came true. And so for the next seven years, he played in the National Leagues and joined the classic era of baseball hot dogs and home apple pie, and he was on top of the world. But one day, while he was getting drunk with his teammates in Chicago, he heard the strains of a gospel tune that his mother used to sing to him being played by a tiny band across the street. And as the preacher was preaching, he simply stood up and told his friends, I'm through, I'm going to Jesus Christ, we've come to a parting of the ways. All in one shot. Getting drunk one moment, next moment I got saved. I consecrate myself. It's all about Jesus. Let's roll. And look, listen what happened. It didn't take long to prove his profession. At a time when America was filled with vice Im- immorality, you know, like today, okay, he moved from city to city, week after week, month after month, preaching on the pitfalls of sin. Not how to be a successful you. On sin and people's desperate need of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the church, he didn't hold back either. Listen. He told the church, you better stop playing around with sin. And he used words like this. I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home in glory. Now, that's a guy who's consecrated and disciplined and realized it's a war. You're going to fight until God takes you home. And then he told the church, stop goofing off with religion and do something to bring the world to Christ. And this man not only said that, he led the way with zeal. During his sermons, he would skip, run, leap, even fall down on the stage, imitating drunkards, society women, phony preachers, moral backsliders. He would pound on the pulpit, jump on the pulpit, break furniture, stamp his feet, and with perspiration spinning around wildly, grimacing his face. And it was this enthusiastic, flamboyant, and humor style of preaching that not only won him an enormous amount of exposure in the newspapers, but God used to cause a massive outpouring of interest for spirit spiritual things. For instance, in one meeting, this was before TV, this was before radio. And in one meeting, over 2,300,000 people attended. With all due respect, not even Billy Graham did that one yet. This is before radio and TV, the advent. And they didn't just show up, they got saved. Tens of thousands of them. In fact, in just one of his revival meetings, nearly 100,000 people came to Christ. Think of a community. Think of a city of 100,000 people. Can you imagine the whole city got saved? That's what happened at one meeting. And through this one Christian man, he not only addressed over 100 million people without the aid of loudspeakers, TV, or radio, by the way, but as many, they estimate 1,250,000 people were saved. In fact, for the next 20 years, this one Christian man preached nearly 20,000 sermons until he literally did burn out for Jesus Christ. His name was 
Billy Sunday. You ever hear him? Great man of God who risked it all for Jesus. He did things that were seemingly impossible. How can you have 2,300,000 people show up at your meeting? You don't even have the internet. You don't even have all these fancy brochures. But if you got one man who's consecrated to God's discipline, is fighting sin and gumming it till he goes home to glory, the Spirit of God does amazing things. And so in closing, how about us? Can you imagine if not just one of us here tonight, but all of us really got consecrated and really got serious? Can you imagine what God would do with us for his glory and his honor? And we could rap about it forever in heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? It can if we get busy developing godly habits of living. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ... Uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? 
You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.